we're in Daniel chapter 9, verse 15 through 23. Daniel prays for his people. This is part two. We're going to be talking about the petition that Daniel made before our God. Starting in verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and the supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, and for your city and your people who are called by your name. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. The theme of Daniel by now, you should have this down, that God is sovereign over nations, over rulers, over you. So when you start to think that the world is falling apart and that the Middle East is a crisis and the world is a crisis, be sure God has the whole world in his hands. Everything is in control. He is in control. On our last lesson, we talked about uh, Daniel making confession for his people. And remember, we talked about what confession was. A confession simply means I am agreeing with God that I have sinned. I am agreeing with God that I am I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm not casting it off to somebody else. It wasn't my mom. It wasn't my dad. It wasn't my brothers. It wasn't my sisters. It wasn't Billy who made me smoke the joint in the back of the car or something like that. No, you've got to own your own stuff. That is what confession is. I have sinned against you, God. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise we have. However, confession is acutely married to repentance because there's one thing, admitting that we've done something, but having every intention of going back to that thing. See, that's, that's not real true confession. Confession means I agree with you, God, that this is a sin and I'm also turning around, repenting, turning around, going the other way. So they are merged together. So we talked about that last time. Daniel confesses the sins of himself and his people. And I want you to hear something. Holy men of God were acutely aware of their sin and God's holiness. Listen to what Isaiah has to say in Isaiah chapter 6. When he has a vision of the throne of God, in the year that King Uzziah died, and he said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. He sees the holiness of God. He sees the seraphim above the, above, above the throne of God with their wings spread out. And he hears them cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the prophet Isaiah, who we would consider a holy man on earth, you know what he says? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, when we come into the presence of God in his holiness and his wonder and his majesty, we are just unclean, filthy people. The only way we can come before our Lord is with the imputed righteousness of Christ being credited to us. That's how we come before our God. We're clothed with him. In 9.5, we saw this. We saw him, Daniel giving his confession. We have sinned and committed iniquity as a people group. In 9.7, the sin, the sin brings shame, shame of face. To us, the shame of face. And in 9.8, he talks about this shame again. To our kings, our princes, shame of face. To the leaders, to the people, to the false prophets, 
Even to Daniel himself, they felt shame of face, shame of face. He includes himself. Daniel includes himself, and that is a good thing to do because remember this. When, when you talk about sin and you talk about unholiness, Romans 3.23 hits it right on the nose. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, not most. It is all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says in Isaiah that, that there's none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Our culture today, hear this, our culture today would have us to believe that it is wrong for a person to ever feel shame. I hardly ever you see anybody blush anymore. Shame. However, there are times when shame is appropriate. I'll give you a few of them. 1 Corinthians 6.5, we are to judge righteously within the body of Christ. If we don't, that is a shame. It says it's a shame to us. 1 Corinthians 15.34 says this, Evil company, if we keep evil company, that is a shame. That is a shame to us. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.14, when we disobey God, we disobey his word, that is shame. So there is an appropriate shame, okay? But there is also an inappropriate shame. And that is what I want to address for just a few minutes. I didn't address this last time, so I want to share this with you. Please hear this. This is, there is an invalid shame that says this, you're no good. You don't even deserve to be here. You've gone too far. There's no hope for you. Your sin is so bad that you'll never recover from this, and that is a lie. That is a lie. That's an invalid shame, and this is important. This is contradicted by God's love for us. We know his love for us. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. He died for us. That is love. That is amazing love. People get stuck in invalid shame. If you have been immersed in sexual sins, pornography, these things that, that just bring shame after shame, people that have had abortions, and they live with, with, with the shame of that, Drugs, alcohol, eating disorders, anything, any number of things can bring this, this, this on. When a person learns how much God really loves them and how much they're valued, you can rise above anything that you've done in your past. Don't get stuck in where you were, but in where you're going. Where you're going, you're moving forward, not stuck in, 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 in the rears. So the steps to healing shame. Number one, I'm just going to give you five things. And I think this is important because you could, we can be stuck in the past and never move beyond it. Number one, confess, agree with God, I have sinned. And remember this, married to confession is repentance. I'm going to turn away from this. Number two, stop trying to atone for your own sins, to pay the price for your own sins. Only Jesus can do that. Stop beating yourself up, and remember, you're in good company. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person in here has something that we've done. Thirdly, stop insisting that this wrong was too much to be forgiven and think, I don't deserve to even be here. I don't deserve to be forgiven. You confess your sins, you will be forgiven. And fourthly, cultivate thankfulness for what Christ has done for you. And I cannot tell you how amazing grace is. God's grace that he just, just pours out on us. Thankfulness is our reply to the kiss of God's unconditional love, his grace. And finally, number five, cultivate freedom. Cultivate freedom. When you've been stuck in the past and you can't move beyond where I was, Believe God, believe his word, and cultivate freedom. Cultivate freedom. Life is not about endlessly apologizing for our deficiencies or replaying over and over and over our hurts. Deal with them and move on. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. I will not get stuck in the past. I will not get stuck in my past stuff. I will not get stuck in I'm no good. I'll never get over this, but realizing our God-given potential in Christ and that we are forgiven. We must confidently yet, yet humbly display 
the regenerated life to the world around us. Now, this is a significant point. Our world, our friends have watched us. Our families have watched us. They've seen where we were, and they see where we've come from, and that Jesus makes a difference in our lives. And you know, when we show people that I have come out of this, and I'm not stuck in there anymore, there's no more shame, there's no more guilt, there's no more condemnation. Romans 8, 8, 1 is true. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the truth. So we don't have to live in this, this pit of shame. You can come out of it, but you must confess and do it God's way. Or you can get stuck, never moving on, always in your past, always replaying the events over and over. No, no. We can have victory over anything, anything. We also talked about prayer and how merciful God is and how gracious he is. And our prayer is, our, is how we communicate with God. God loves to hear the prayers of his people. If you're stuck in some shame, you're stuck in some past, go before your heavenly Father. He will hear your prayers. He will hear you. He loves to hear a confessed, repentant, humbled heart. And this moves the heart of God. You know, we can ask God. We can seek God. We can knock on the door of God's heart. And you will always, always find him arms wide open and welcoming you. That is our God. Now this week, Daniel prays for his people. Part two, we're going to be talking about the petition, the petitions of prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for each person that is here today that you have brought for this time. You brought us to hear the word of God. Holy Spirit, please implant in us these, the things that you want us to hear in this talk. We all hear something differently. May we hear you speak to our hearts things that you want us to learn and help us to apply what you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So just an introduction. Daniel's prayer he, is really a model prayer. It's one of the model prayers in, in Scripture. And he starts out, I don't know if you remember this, but in verse 3, Daniel set his face towards the Lord. I want to just explain this to you. Set your face towards God. This is not a now and lay me down to sleep. Just our Father heart in heaven, hell will be that. Something you're repeating a million times. No, when you set your face before God, you're separating yourself from the world, and you're focusing exclusively on him. You know who was excellent at this was Jesus. He got off by himself, and he prayed. He set his face towards his Father. That's an all-out effort towards God. Then he, what did he do? He gave praise and adoration to God. Oh, great and awesome God in verse 4 last week. And then he brings his confession that our hearts have been bad. We have sinned against you in verses 5 through 15. And finally, in verses 16 through 19, which we will cover today, he makes his petition. He makes, but only it's after preparation. In chapter 9, Daniel's praying for his people knowing that the time of the captivity is over. He's been reading Jeremiah the prophet. He knows it's going to be over in 70 years. And the impossible, the seemingly impossible is going to happen. A Persian king is going to release these people, and they're going to be able to go back to their city, rebuild the city, and rebuild the temple. And, and you can just imagine how Daniel must feel. God's promise to Israel, God's promise to you, is freedom from captivity. Freedom from captivity. And I'll tell you, the captivity is usually to some sort of idol that we have made up in our minds. Humans have all kinds of idols. This always comes from the idol of self. I want to please myself. And then we'll fill in whatever we want as that idol. It has a grip on us. Self, jealousy, lust, greed, I, I, I. God, remember this, God is a promise keeper. What he says he will do. God is not a promise breaker. Humans are promise breakers. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. This is a human trait, not a God trait. God has promised through the prophets that there's going to be 70 years and they're going to be set free. Now look at The people of Israel are going to be set free and go back to their land. Humans can be set free from anything and go back to a normal life. John 8, 31, 32 says this, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in them, 
If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And what is it? The truth shall make you free. Free. It's only freedom in Jesus Christ. God is in the business of delivering and setting people free. Not just physically, but physically, emotionally, spiritually free. And remember, John 8, 36, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. We don't have to be trapped in shame. We don't have to be trapped in condemnation. We can move on from that. Daniel reminds us of the nations. The greatest deliverance of all from, from a nation was when the Jews were delivered from Egyptian bondage. 400 years in Egyptian bondage, and God sets them free. God is in the business of delivering his people. Verse 15 says it this way, God our deliverer. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. God, you are the one that delivered. It is you. It is not us. It is you who have delivered. God brought the people out of Egyptian bondage. And remember this. It was his plan. It was his way. And it was his time. I'm sure they thought they were there for 400 years. It's got to be a long time in captivity. And it was his man. It was his man, Moses. Now, did Moses come skipping before the Lord and raising his hand and says, I'm the man. I'm the man. I can do this for you, God. Oh, no. What did Moses do? Multiple different times, send somebody else. Not me, God. Send somebody else. And then God says, oh, no, you're the man, Moses. Delivering from Egyptian bondage is repeated over 100 times in the Old Testament. And remember this. When you think about Egypt, Egypt is a picture of the world, a world system that is counter to God. That is what we are immersed in here, a world system that is counter to God. We're getting inundated with information from a world that wants nothing to do with the true God. Secondly, Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. And remember, God is the one that delivers us from Satan's bondage. How? Through Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. There's a transfer of kingdoms. When you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you go from Satan's kingdom into Jesus' kingdom. And we know that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And then finally, the rebellious Israel would not possess the promised land. That's a picture of the flesh. Now remember this, the flesh always, always, always wants its own way. And the flesh always wants to take you back to where you were, where it's comfortable. See, the flesh is very uncomfortable with the new you, with the saved you. It's very comfortable with its past, with where you were. It always wants to drag you back to that point where you were actually in misery and didn't really realize how miserable you were. The flesh. Our triune enemy is this. The world system, remember 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. The world's desires pass away, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. The world, the world system, the flesh is the second one, our unredeemed humanness. And in Galatians 5.19, there's this horrific picture of what this is. This is just telling us who we really are in our flesh, our unredeemed person. He says this, Paul says in 5.19, the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, which is porneo. Porneo is any, hear this, believers. Porneo is any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant. Anything. Okay? So many people say, well, I can do this and I can do this because it's not. A no, there are restrictions to what humans are allowed to do. The marriage covenant is where the, the, the bond between a male and a female occurs. Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is pharmakia. Those are drugs that alter the way that you feel contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, what a great list, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. There's more than this, but he got tired of talking. 
And then he gives this warning. Those who practice such things, those who practice, if this is your way of life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a warning. What a warning. Now, each one of us could have a struggle with one of those areas, but it's a struggle. It's not a given over to. If you give yourself over to this, man, you've got to be very careful. You don't know if you're in the, in the kingdom or not. You cannot make excuses about this. It is very significant. So your world, the flesh, and finally the devil, who's a roaring lion, we know in 1 Peter 5, 8, that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Remember, he's always after that weak, isolated one, one that's off by themselves someplace, that gazelle, the little gazelle. Yeah, that's why you want to be in fellowship. That's why you want to be together. You get strength together. Folks, all humanity needs deliverance from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Jesus is our deliverer. In Luke, there's a great thing in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is starting his ministry. And he's in Nazareth. So he's in Nazareth. That's his hometown. He's been in Galilee. He's been, to, he's been accepted by the people in Galilee. Now, Galilee is in northern Israel, and that's where Nazareth is. And in his hometown, he goes into the synagogue. He opens the book to the prophet Isaiah, and he says these words in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. He tells these people, his homies, this word, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Ruach of God is upon me. The Holy Spirit came on Jesus at his bat. It's upon me. Because he has anointed me, has empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the helpless, the lost. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's every human to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who are in Satan's bondage, and recover of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. Jesus Christ is saying here, I am the Messiah. I am the deliverer of the people of Israel. Believe in me. And you know what happened? Right after this, they start saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Who does he think he is? And it says in verse 28 and 29, they tried to thrust him out of the city, and they tried to throw him off a hill and kill him, but he walked right through their midst. You talk about somebody that wasn't accepted by his own people. Jesus was rejected, but Jesus was their deliverer. God is our deliverer. In 16 through 19, in Daniel, we see this. Daniel's cry, our cry, and I hope you just recognize, hear our prayer, O Lord. That is our cry. That is our heart. When you're hurting, hear our prayer, O Lord. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear in here. Can you feel the passion here? Incline your ear in here. Open your eyes. See our desolations in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people who are called by your name. Oh God, I need you. You can just feel the passion here. Daniel's focus is on God. There's 20 plus references, now don't have to count them and tell me later it's 27, or there's 20 plus references to God in this section. In verse 16, O Lord, the passion here, according to all your righteousness I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away. Daniel prays, watch where his focus is, your city, God, your city, your people, your sanctuary, which is desolate and destroyed. Daniel's focus. He says in verse 17, it's for the Lord's sake, for your reputation, God, and for your city, Jerusalem. Now, I want to talk to you about this. Please hear this. Jerusalem is the only city in the world 
where God has placed his name, the shin, his name. And you're going to see a picture of this. This is a shin. It's one of the Hebrew letters. And it means, it's pronounced shin, shin. And it actually, to a Jewish person, is emblematic of El Shaddai, El God Shaddai Almighty, God Almighty. That is the shin. Now I want you to notice from a picture from space what this looks like on Jerusalem. Now on the mountains of Jerusalem, you see this picture of the shin. God has placed his hand on the, on the city of Jerusalem. The center of the world is not New York City. It is not Paris. It is not some other great city. It is Jerusalem. Now in the next picture, you're going to see this again. This is the, a picture from, from, from a helicopter. But I want you to notice a couple things here. This is the Dome of the Rock. This is the Temple Mount. This is Mount Moriah, where the future temple will be built. There are some people that speculate that this is going to be eradicated or that the Temple Mount, the temple will be put back here someplace. But notice the shin by these valleys, the Hinnon Valley, the Kidron Valley, and the Tyropian Valley. And this is the handprint of God. Now, in the Mount of Olives, this is where Jesus comes back, touches his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he comes in and defeats Antichrist finally. That isn't where he first comes, by the way. If you stick with us in our book of Revelation study, which is coming up soon, you'll know that he comes to Basra first. But anyway, you see this whole bunch of stuff right here? These are all graves. And all of these graves open with the lid towards Jerusalem. And they're all waiting for Messiah to come through the eastern gate because they know when Messiah comes, they're going to be resurrected. The city of Jerusalem is the only city in the world where God has placed his name, the Shem, El Shaddai, God Almighty. So, your people, your city, Jerusalem. Let's go on. In verse 18, he says, O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes. See our, our, our desolation. See our destruction. See our misery. Can you feel this? You can feel it in each life. See what's going on in my heart, God. See what's going on in my life. I need you. In verse 19, we see Daniel's cry and my cry, and I bet it's your cry too. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. What is Daniel saying? <laughs> Excuse me. What is he saying? Oh, Lord, you said that in 70 years, we'd be out of here. Oh, Lord, we need you now. Do not delay. Have you ever been there? Oh, Lord, I need you like right now. Don't delay. Okay? More about that in just a second. When we pray like Daniel, when we start with praise and adoration and go into confession and tell God right where we are and be honest with him, when we cry out to God, when we cry out to him, when I set my face towards my God in verse 3, watch this, setting my face, no distractions, God has my full attention, I don't have the radio on in the background, I don't have the TV on in the background. I'm not rushing through life. And we can have Nehemiah prayers. We can have short prayers. But when you're setting your face towards God, you have purposely set aside a time like Jesus did. Go up to a mountain. Go up to your quiet place and focus exclusively on him. You get away from everything else. All the little things in your life. Hey, all of us have problems, don't we? Forget your problems. Focus on him. Bring your, don't lament on your problems just internalizing it. Focus on him and give it to your God. That is what we are to do. That is what setting your face upon him is. I have set my face towards you away from everything else. And when you connect with God this way, it's it, it, not your righteous deeds, not the things which you have done. When it's all about God, guess who hears you? Your God will hear you. Your God will hear you. When we approach God in prayer, not on the basis of who we think we are, but on the basis of who God is, our 
Heavenly Father hears us. He hears us. Look, at it, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. When God's child, the son or daughter, approaches our, their father based upon who he is, Abba, that's the Aramaic word for daddy. That's, a, that's an intimate, affectionate word, Abba, daddy. And remember, Jesus as our high priest is on the, on the right-hand side of Abba, Father, as our intercessor. The throne room, when you come before our Abba, when you come before the throne with Jesus as your intercessor, the throne room of heaven is just flung open. It is just flung open, and our God will hear us. He will hear us. Hebrews 4.16 puts it this way. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The word is parisia. Boldly is parisia. And it means the freedom or the frankness to say what is on my mind without fear or anxiety of retribution. I can come before my God and boldly approach the throne of grace and say what is on my mind. And my daddy, my Abba, he will hear me. He will hear me. He knows my crushed spirit. He knows where I'm at. He knows my distress. My daddy will hear me. When I come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now hear this. We come before our God, and everyone in here has done this. I will submit to you. You have come before God, and it hasn't turned out the way you thought it would turn out. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. In life, things may not turn out the way you planned. Now, I'd like to correct that. In life, things will not turn out the way you planned. That is just the way it is. Just the way it is. But God's children, through it all, are promised something that nobody in the world has promised to them except his children. And you know what that is? It's his presence. Through it all, through all the mud of life, if you're in right relationship with him, you have his presence guaranteed. The comfort of the Holy Spirit, your paracleto, your comforter is with you no matter where you go. You go into the operating room, your comforter is there. You go into the recovery process, your comforter is there. You have distress in your family, your comforter is there. It may not be turning out the way you thought it would turn out. But your presence of God, he is with you. He is your strength. And I would suggest to you this, ask you this question. You must know, through it all, no matter how it turns out, Jesus is enough. Now, do you believe that? In the crunch, this is very important, because it may not turn out the way you thought it was going to turn out. But you must realize, you hold on to Jesus. Jesus is enough in any situation. We must rest in him. And remember the word? We dwell in him. We men know. Dwell. Make our home in him. And if we make our home in him, his presence is with us. No matter what road we go down, how it turns, our God is with us. What a blessing. Daniel's prayer is focused on God, not on him. For your sake, God, your people, your city. But I want to bring something up here that maybe you haven't recognized in this text. What is Daniel thinking? Could it be that he is thinking when he is released to go back to Jerusalem, when the people are released, could this be the end of the time of the Gentiles? Might he be thinking that Messiah is going to be coming? And he's thinking, oh, good, we, could do, he's just, we get to go back, we get to go back. But what is he missing? Babylon, Persia, and then Greece and then Rome have to come. Oh, you're too soon, Daniel. You're too soon in this. You're too soon. So what does the Lord do? He sends someone to set him straight. He sends Gabriel, a heavenly messenger, a personal angel to come to set him straight. And not only him, but he sets us straight and tells us about Israel's future. And not only Israel, but the Gentile nations and Antichrist, etc. We will find out, actually, most, more of that next week. In verse 20 through 23, God will respond to Daniel's prayer. What a response here. Now, while I was speaking, he's in the middle of this thing. His face is towards God. 
Every, every fiber of his being is towards God. His emotions are being poured out. Praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications, my requests before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer all out to God, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. See, he didn't understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Gabriel is sent so he understands, and so we understand what is coming in the future. But it's not the way Daniel thought it was going to be. Again, we see Daniel confessing. In verse 20, confessing my sins and the sins of my people. I don't want to suggest something to you. There's a psalm. That is a great psalm. It's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. We talk about confession. When you talk about really facing God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me or try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way within me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God. I want to be clean before you. Anything, God, reveal it to me. Lead me in the way everlasting. What Daniel is getting here is understanding. Leading me in the way of everlasting. In verse 21, Gabriel burst onto the scene. This isn't just a passive. He's on, a, he's, in, he's on a mission. Gabriel's got a mission here. In the midst of Daniel's prayer, he burst on the scene, and it says he flies swiftly. Fly swiftly. And when you, you might have in, in your margin there that he was weary with weariness. Now, either Gabriel was weary or Daniel's weary, but whatever the picture is here, it's a picture of pace. It's a picture of somebody in a hurry. Daniel is, is, it has Gabriel coming in a hurry to give him information. Now hear this. There's a pace to this answer to prayer. Sometimes God answers our prayers immediately. Now that's what we want, isn't it? Oh, Lord, I did not study for this test, but please give me an A. Yes, I had that, that study, that prayer. Sometimes we, it's wait, not now. That's, that's the agonizing one. Really, Lord? I got to go on with this? Really? And then sometimes he says, no. No, you aren't going to get the answer. You aren't, you aren't to do whatever you're requesting. All of these are legitimate answers from God, and we have to defer to him. In this case, Gabriel arrives in a hurry, and he needs to, to correct Daniel's thinking. Gabriel needs to correct Daniel's thinking. Do we ever need to have our thinking corrected? Is our theology just perfect? Or do we have it all lined up just perfectly? Yeah. No, I, I, we need some correction. In verse 22, watch this. And he informed me. Gabriel, Gabriel is correcting Daniel. Daniel misunderstood on two points. He lacked the details of God's plan. Now, look, we have all these things about God, what God should do, and we don't know the details of what he's doing in our life. Daniel needed more information to understand. He needed more information. Folks, there's an application here. There's an application I think that's significant because when we go through life and things are happening to us and we're not quite understanding and we're going into the why God phase, okay, why God, why God, why God, when you don't understand the why God's in life, recall how we actually see. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12? Now we see but a poor reflection is in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. Hey, the instant we get to heaven, the very millisecond we get there, we will have all knowledge and there's never going to be, why did you do this, God? That, that will never come up. We will know exactly the plan. We'll have expanded minds and we will understand everything. But here, we don't. Here, we have to trust. Here, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Very different than we get when we get there, and it's all revealed. Daniel is kind of imposing his own feelings on what he thinks is going to happen. And this happens all the time. And remember this, you can be wrong. It's okay to be wrong, 
but be teachable. Respond to correction. Be willing to yield. Allow the Scripture to say what it says in context. Now, there's three places in Scripture that implore us to follow the Scriptures for what they say. Deuteronomy 4.2 says this, Do not add to the words which I command you, nor take away from it. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, that you may learn not to think beyond what is written. Folks, stick with the word. Stick with the word in context, what God is actually saying to us. Not out of context, in context. Gabriel is sent, so Daniel can't miss it. And he is sent, so we can't miss it. But guess what? Next week, this is going to be one of the hardest interpretive sections that we cannot miss in Scripture. It's, it's a tough section. And notice this, how God views Daniel. Gabriel tells him, you are greatly beloved in verse 23. You know what that means? You are costly, precious, valued. Jesus valued you so much that he came and died for you. Isn't that amazing? That is the value that God places on humanity. Daniel is beloved. But you know, the apostle John was also beloved. In John 19, 26, Jesus passes off the care of Mary to John. And he says this, When Jesus saw his mother and his disciple, the one he loved, he says, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, behold your mother. He's dying on the cross, and he transfers responsibility to John. Take care of my mom. He calls him the beloved. Jesus is also called beloved at his baptism. But I want you to know who else is called beloved. The believer is called beloved. That you are precious, that you are costly. In Colossians 3.12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. That is how he looks at every single one of us that say yes to Jesus. It's not based upon how, how good you're doing it at any one time. It's not based upon your actions. It's based upon what Jesus has done for you. And you're always looked at as beloved. Now, he will correct you, and he will get you back in line, that whole thing. But he looks at us, once we receive Jesus, as the beloved. You must know and never forget, folks, that you are a child of God. And when you know that you're beloved, out goes condemnation. Out goes invalid shame. Out goes all the things of my past that I wish I never would have done. In comes the love of Christ. In comes no condemnation. In comes no shame. I am a victor in Jesus Christ. I have value. I have meaning. Oh, you are greatly beloved. It is a fact no matter what. Now, you're going to sin, and you're going to feel crummy, but you are still beloved of God. Isn't that nice to know? Because we always fall short. We always do. Think about this supernatural encounter. Now, many people think that, that this supernatural things only go to supernatural people, like Daniel. He had several angel encounters. Abraham had a whole bunch of visions and had some encounters and that sort of thing. And you kind of feel left out a little bit. Do you feel a little left out? Don't feel left out. Because you know what you have? You have the Holy Spirit of God resident within you. That is better than any angel coming and say, hey! No, you have God resident within you. Every day, all day. John 14, 26. And he will teach you all things. He will direct you in the way that you should go. And earlier in John, he's your comforter. He's your paracolito. He gets you through everything. We simply need to be teachable and to be open to the Spirit's call. Folks, we are greatly beloved, and we have access to unimaginable power and his Holy Spirit teaching. And remember, God responds to our prayers. He will hear you if you approach him rightly. Finally, in conclusion, Daniel prays for his people, his petition. Daniel intercedes on behalf of himself and his people. And folks, this is a lesson for us. We are to be intercessors for one another. Intercessors for one another. Now, why is intercessory prayer necessary? Look, you're going to have times in your life when everything's cool. 
Everything's going great. I don't need any help. Just, just kind of wallow in that for just about a millisecond because life changes, okay? You're here to, it is not static. It is dynamic. It is constantly changing. Just get ready for the next ripple. You will need someone to intercede on your behalf. Life happens. For Daniel, life was happening. It was a time to rebuild the temple and, and, and Jerusalem to be rebuilt. They were at hand. The excitement for Daniel was palpable because he's going home. Now, let me just extrapolate from that. The excitement for us as we see the signs of the time evolving should be palpable within us because guess what? We're going where? We're going home. We're going home. This is ending someday. Now, look, I know that when the, when the dude was telling me that when I was 18, I wasn't so thrilled about that. I hadn't been beaten up enough in life. Now I am just ecstatic that I am getting ready to go home. Someday soon we are going to see the king. Daniel focuses on God's incredible mercy. God will restore his people. Jeremiah 29, it's such a great verse about the restoration of Israel. Notice Jeremiah 29.10, For thus says the Lord, most of you are familiar with this verse, after 70 years are, are completed, after you are out of captivity, Watch what happens. Think about yourself. This is talking about the nation of Israel. But just view your life. After the 70 years are completed at Babylon, after I'm out of captivity, watch what God says. I will visit you and perform my good word towards you, cause you to return to this place, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to us to return to him, to his place. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Every single person that has been taken captive by the enemy of this world needs to know we have hope, that we are set free from captivity. Then you will call upon me, go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart, when you set your face towards me fully and completely. You will find me then. And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. And I look at that as from all the stuff I was in. He gathers me and brings me back. From all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to this place from which I caused you to be carried away. I will rescue you. I will be your God. That's what he's saying to these people. He's going to restore them in Jerusalem. That's what he says to us when we're taken captive. I will restore you. I will bring you back, a restore relationship with you. That's a great thing about God. He always brings us back if we will just repent and turn. God, in his grace and mercy, sends Gabriel in a hurry to give Daniel and us clarification to the time allotted for Israel, but not just Israel. We'll see next week the church age is involved, the Antichrist is involved, and the coming Messiah is involved with the Messianic kingdom being established. Now look at when doubt comes into your mind and you are living in a generation, like I've said, like 12,000, this is 12,001 times, you are being inundated with lies after lies after lies through technology, media, education, magazines, any venue possible to get lies into you, we have it in this culture like never before. When you start to doubt, Go back to the basics. Fulfilled prophecy proves what God says is true. Prophecy tells us, be ready, don't fret, and live holy lives, and keep watch. It's all true, folks. Things happened in the past, things are happening now, and things are going to happen in the future. Hold on to your hats. Watch, be ready. Matthew 25, 13 says this, watch therefore. For you do not know, know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. He's coming at any time. Watch. Watch. Be ready. Be ready. You never know when he's coming for you. Either in the rapture or your personal death and transition from here. You don't know. We don't have one guarantee of a next second. Mark 13, 35 says, watch therefore. Same, same theme. 
Or you don't know when the master of the house is coming, but folks, he is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. He finds you sleeping like the ten virgins. Five were ready, five weren't. What I say to you, I say to everyone through all the epochs of time, watch, watch, be ready, be ready. The reason we study prophecy is to watch and be ready to know what is coming. Folks, Babylon came and went, didn't it? Babylon came and went, just like, just like it was prophesied in Daniel. Persia came and went. Greece came and went. Rome, in its grandeur, came and kind of went. We are left with the east and west branch. Remember the legs on the statue? The statue. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome with its two legs of iron. East and west divisions. That is what we are in today. With the toes being the ten-nation confederation throughout the world, a new way of world to be governed is coming on the horizon. These have happened. That has happened. That has happened. This has happened and continues. And this is on the horizon. That is on the horizon. Watch. Be ready. Jesus' kingdom is on the horizon. But guess what? The next one is hip, hip, hooray. Jesus is the rock that comes and crushes Antichrist's kingdom and establishes his kingdom. No more Gentile rule. Messiah will reign for 1,000 years when he establishes his kingdom. Now next week, one of the most difficult, important, and controversial prophecies in Scripture. Gabriel will lay out Israel's future and for us, our future. The 70 weeks prophecy. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. And as, as always, we know that we can't understand a thing, Lord, unless you open our eyes, open our hearts, take the scales off, take hard hearts and make them soft, and help us to respond to how you've spoken to us today. Lord, each one of us needs a Savior. We have all been released from Satan's captivity. Everyone who has believed has been released from Satan's captivity and transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love, whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus. And I pray today, right now, Father, that anybody here that does not know You as their Savior, that they will say yes to Jesus Christ. Simply believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and receive the free gift of salvation. Oh, that that would happen today to somebody. Somebody, oh Lord, the greatest day of their life, coming into the family of God and being set free from captivity. For we who have been set free, who are still kind of mired in the past, kind of mired in our flesh, set us free, Lord. Help us to turn our face towards you and away from the world that has sucked us into it like a, like a vacuum vortex. And may we just be turned to you and drawn to you, our Savior. Father, thank you for this book of Daniel. Thank you for the things that have happened, and thank you for the things that will happen soon. Thank you for this study. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.